2 Timothy 3. Sorry. Godlessness in the last days. But mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. They are the kind who mourn... You know what, I started a little bit uh, too soon on that. (laughs) I apologize. I think we'll just continue if you're all right with that, Pastor Jason. They are the kind who who wormed their way into homes and gained control over weak-willed women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to acknowledge the truth. Just as Janus and Jambre uh, opposed Moses, so also these men opposed the truth, men of depraved minds, who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. But they will not get very far, because, as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. You, however... Know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, suffering, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, uh, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions as I I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil men and impostors will go from bad to worse deceiving and being deceived but as for you continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in christ jesus all scripture is god breathed and is useful for teaching rebuking correcting and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct. Rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine, Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, and discharge all the duties of your ministry. These are the words of the Lord. Well, that was a very heavy passage that we started with, godlessness in the last days. As I heard that, I thought, oh no, (laughs) I'm going to have to preach on that. Um, But it's interesting, I'm glad that that got read. It's interesting because there's a, 
there's a definite change in tone that happens when Paul gets, he says those heavy, heavy things in in the beginning of chapter 3, and he's talking about the world. And then he turns to Timothy and he says, you, however. And then the whole tone changes. And you'll notice that the difference between Timothy and the world is that Timothy has submitted himself to the authority of the Bible. And that makes all the difference. And that's why there's a shift in tone. And so what I want to talk about this morning is the authority of the Bible and how we submit ourselves to the Bible and how the Bible works in the lives of believers and of churches. In fact, pretty much everything I want to say, I love it when God does this, was said in the children's message. So if you were listening then, you you don't have to listen now. You got it. (laughs) Okay, so I want you to imagine... I want you to imagine this scenario in your mind, an an Arctic expedition, right? Can you imagine a group of people going to the South Pole? And as they're traveling to the South Pole, they they stop at a certain point and they leave a, a bunch of food. They bury it so that they don't have to carry it with them to lighten their load and so that on the way back, they can find it and eat. And so they drop off the food, they, they continue their journey, they make it to the South Pole, and now they're on their way back. They, uh, they get to the area where they know roughly this is where we buried it, this is what our map says, but they start digging, and they can't find it. And so they're searching around and digging all over the place, and they never discover the food again. And uh, they eventually, they end up starving to death because they have no food. Later, when the rescue teams come, they discover the bodies, but they also discover that they were actually within just a couple hundred yards of their food supply. They just didn't know it. It was all right there, and they were so close to it, but they didn't find it. Now, I think that that story is especially tragic because they were so close to the food. They had everything they needed. It didn't have to end that way. And I think that's what makes the story so tragic. And it's my prayer that we as a church will not make a similarly tragic mistake. God's word is our food. Amen. Amen. God's word is our strength. God's word is our sustenance. God's word is a feast that he has provided for us. We've got Bibles in our pews. We've got Bibles on our bookshelves at home. We've got Bibles online. The feast is everywhere. We are well fed. And yet, how many people in the church today are starving, are, 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 are malnourished? See, it's right there at our fingertips. It's right here. It's just waiting for us to, to feed on it, to read it, to be nourished, to be blessed. And this morning, my simple goal is this. I just want to make sure that you and I are not missing out on the feast, that we're not missing out on the blessing that God has for us in his word. And so we'll look at Paul's words to Timothy. We'll consider how God intends for us to use his word in our lives and in our churches. And I think this is, it, it seems to me that this was an especially appropriate um, topic given the fact that it's Christian Education Week because Christian education begins with the Bible, with God's Word. And so before I talk about our context and how we use God's Word, I want to talk about the historical context in which Paul wrote this letter. And before I talk about that, I want to pray and ask God for His help. Holy Father, here we are now at Your table 
with your word, your food spread out before us. And so I pray for each one of us now that we would eat well, that you would feed us by your spirit and through your word. You, Jesus, have the very words of life. Where else would we go? We will not live by bread alone, but we will live, God, by every word that proceeds from your mouth. So help us, Lord, nourish us, feed us well this morning. In your name, amen. Okay, well, here's the historical context. Most of you probably know this, but it could be a review. 2 Timothy is the last known letter that we have from Paul. As far as we know, it's the last letter that he wrote, and he wrote it from prison. He was coming to the end of his life, and he knew he was coming to the end of his life. At the, towards the end of chapter 4, which we didn't read, he says, I've, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. He knows he's passing on to heaven. And so he's writing this letter from prison to Timothy. Now at this time, the church is being persecuted by a guy named Nero. Nero just seems to be getting increasingly more malicious and spiteful towards the Christians. And so the government, the Roman government, is now enforcing systematic persecution of all of those who identify themselves with Jesus. That's, without, that's outside of the church. Within the church now, this young new movement, there's starting to... Um, false teaching is starting to creep into the church. A particular heresy uh, called Gnosticism or Docetism is, is beginning to be taught within the church. And so externally, you've got the government persecuting. Internally, you've got people who call themselves Christians but are, are, are false teachers. And if all of those factors weren't enough for, to cause Paul to despair, look at who the letter is addressed to. It's addressed to a young man named Timothy. Now we read in another part of scripture that Timothy was sickly. In an, in an earlier letter to Timothy, Paul wrote, Timothy, take a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. So he's sickly. We also learn that he's timid. In 1 Corinthians, Paul writes to the Corinthians and says, when Timothy comes to you, see that he doesn't have cause to be afraid. And we know that Timothy was too young because Paul wrote to Timothy, let no one look down on you because you are young. So we've got all of these factors going on. We've got external persecution of the church. We've got internal false teaching. And we've got the man who is supposed to receive the torch of leadership from the Apostle Paul, who's sickly and timid and too young. So what does Paul tell Timothy to do in the face of all that? Well, I'll tell you what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, Timothy, you, we, you, you need to adjust the message to make it more relevant to Roman culture. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, well, Timothy, what we need is, is, is more programs. We need more celebrity testimonies. No, he points Timothy to the Bible. He says, Timothy, it's okay. Trust God's word. It'll be okay. He says, Timothy, I recognize that these are hard times for you. These are hard times for the church. But I want you to remember that God is sovereign over all of this. God is in control of this situation. And I want you, Timothy, to seek your provision, to seek your refuge, to seek your comfort in the Bible and let the Bible do the work that it was intended to do. Timothy, don't try to do the heavy lifting on your own. Let the Bible do the work. And that message from Paul to Timothy so many centuries ago is still relevant to you and I today. And so this morning I want to identify three roles 
that the Bible plays in the life of a believer. These aren't the only three, but these are three big ones. The first one is this. The Bible provides us with perspective during times of hardship, or heartbreak, suffering, persecution. The Bible gives us perspective. It helps us to view the problems that we face through God's eyes, from a heavenly perspective. So you notice what Paul's doing here, starting in verse 10. He's reminding Timothy of what Timothy already knows. He says, Timothy, you've followed my teaching. You've observed my character. You've seen my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, and you've seen my persecutions and my sufferings. You know, Timothy, what happened to me at at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra. Okay, what, what happened to Paul at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra? The book of Acts tells us specifically In Acts 13, Paul and Barnabas are in Antioch. Paul delivers this stunning sermon showing that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And it says that after that, as many people as were appointed unto eternal life believed, but not everyone believed. And it says that the ones who didn't stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of the land. Okay, so they went from there to Iconium, Acts 14. It says, they spoke boldly for the Lord, and a great number of Jews and Gentiles believed. But again, there's opposition to the gospel preaching. And it says, an attempt was made to mistreat them and to stone them. And so off they go to Lystra. And in Lystra, the opposition is so fierce that the crowd actually does stone Paul. And it's so severe that they actually think he's dead. So they leave him. Now we can read that in our Bibles and sometimes we just brush past that because we're so used to it, but think about that. Paul's preaching publicly the gospel of Jesus Christ. The crowd's getting more and more upset at what he's saying, but Paul keeps preaching. Maybe people start heckling and shouting stuff at him, but Paul keeps preaching. And then people start to go and get fist-sized stones and they start to surround him. And Paul keeps preaching. And then the stones start to fly over and over again, not just one or two, but enough to knock them over. And he's so so physically damaged by these stones that they think that he's dead. That's, that's, that's some of the history behind this little phrase in 2 Timothy when, when, when Paul says, oh, you remember my persecutions and sufferings in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. That's what he's referring to. And when you keep reading Acts, it says that when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up, he, this is after he was stoned, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples and encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. So, I mean, I, I, I find it amazing that after having been stoned and left for dead once, he actually came back there to continue to preach the gospel. In fact, he goes back there a number of times the rest of his life, and it's on his second trip through that he picks up a young man named Timothy. And from that point on, Timothy becomes a traveling partner of Paul's. And so now here's Paul at the end of his life, writing a letter to Timothy and reminding him of the suffering and the persecution that they faced and reminding him also of the deliverance that they experienced. So how does that relate to us? 
But whether or not you've been actively persecuted for your faith, we still all know what it feels like to experience hardship, to experience suffering, to experience sadness and loss. I know everyone here knows what that feels like. I know there's people here feeling that right now. Those things, that's, that's, that's part of being a human being in a fallen world. We all know what it's like to suffer pain and feel sadness and illness and disease and to see loved ones who are hurting. No human is immune to those things, but when the hurt comes, whether that's physical suffering or, 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 or spiritual, emotional suffering, when the suffering and sadness and hardship comes, what do we do as Christians? What does Paul say? Does Paul say, well, just be strong and be stoic? No, he doesn't say that. Or does he say, well, just, just completely fall apart and panic and get bitter? No, he doesn't say that either. It's verse 14. He says, Timothy, when the hardship comes, as for you, Timothy, continue in that which you have learned and firmly believed, knowing that from childhood, you, Timothy, have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. So what he's saying is, look, Timothy, in the face of hardship, suffering, sadness, persecution, take refuge and comfort in the Bible. Go back to that which you have known from your childhood that you have become convinced of. Let the Bible give some perspective to your sadness and persecution. The Bible, if you think of it like this, it's, I don't know if, if you've ever, ever been to one of those 3D movies where you go to the movie theater and as you're going in they give you a pair of glasses and you put the glasses on and when you're wearing the glasses and you see the movie it it looks like it's three-dimensional if you've experienced that then I know at some point because everyone does this you've taken the glasses off just to see what does it look like when I'm not wearing the glasses and when you do that it doesn't look good the picture's all fuzzy the color's all wrong there's multiple images it doesn't look good without the glasses that's because the people who made that movie didn't intend for you to watch it without the glasses. And in the same way, the God who made this universe did not intend for us to experience it without the Bible. We view the world through the lens of the Bible and it enables us to make sense of what we're seeing and what we're experiencing. It gives perspective to our hardship and suffering. Charles Spurgeon, there's this great quote, he said, a Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't, (laughs) right? If you read your Bible enough that it's falling apart, you're probably not falling apart because God's word is going to be your comfort and be your strength. And I I, I don't mean that just because we read our Bible a lot, nothing bad's going to happen to us. That's, That's the opposite of what Paul said. He said bad stuff will happen, but the Bible will be our source of comfort and strength in those situations. That's, that's first. Secondly, the Bible provides training in righteousness. This, we, we heard the verses, all scripture is God-breathed, and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. Right? Paul's talking about the Bible as if it's a, if it's a manual, training us for righteousness. And, and by by that, I don't mean to reduce the Bible to a list of rules. Right? You, can get, you can get a list of rules anywhere. 
Any religion will give you a list of rules. That's not, the Bible, the the, the Bible is alive. This is God's living word and it has the power to transform us as we read it. It's living and active and it changes us. It shapes us. We're different. You sit down and read your Bible, you get up after that, you're different. You've been changed by the power of God's word. It's a living book. In Isaiah, God says, I send my word out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and it shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Right? God's word carries the authority of God, and God's word is effective. It has the power to accomplish God's purposes. I'll give you just one, one dramatic example. This is a story, a true story, of a man named Hin. Uh, Hin was living in Vietnam when, when it fell to the communists. Hin, Hin was an itinerant preacher uh, and missionary in, in Vietnam. And then it fell to the communists, and all of a sudden Christianity was illegal. He continued to preach and to travel and to minister God's word. He was arrested multiple times. And on one particular incarceration, his captors just made a concerted effort to indoctrinate him against the West and against Christianity. And, uh, and so they wouldn't let him read anything in English. He could only read things that were um, either French or Vietnamese, and he could only read communist stuff. And so after being indoctrinated for so long, after being deprived of his Bible for so long, he, he began to buckle, and he began to wonder, maybe all my years of faithful service to the Lord Maybe that was a waste. Maybe I was wrong. Maybe communism really is the answer to man's greatest problems. And so finally he came to the point, it was one night, and he decided, okay, tomorrow I'm done with God. I, I, I'm not gonna pray tomorrow. It, 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 it was gonna be the first day in a very, very long time that he was going to not pray all day. And so jobs are being assigned that day and he gets assigned to latrine duty Worst job there is. And he's, uh, he's, cleaning out what he's, he's cleaning a wastebasket that's filled with toilet paper and he sees in it a piece of paper that has some English words on it. And he's so excited because he hasn't seen English in so long. He doesn't know what it is, but he grabs it, cleans it off, folds it up, puts it in his pocket and all day he's just waiting to read whatever it is that he's found. And so that late that night, he's under his mosquito net. He shines a flashlight on this damp piece of paper and this is what he reads. I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation, you know how it finishes, right, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's what he read. So the the sovereign Lord of the universe who could have done anything sees his servant in need and provides him with a piece of the Bible. Right? He, could have, he could have sent angels, he could have sent an earthquake, he could have done whatever he wanted, he's God. But what he chose to do was provide him with a piece of the Bible, and I'm sure you recognized it, it's Romans 8. God's word is sufficient to train us in righteousness. God's word equips us 
for every good work. Hen repented, he asked for forgiveness, he recommitted himself to the Lord. Next day he volunteered for latrine duty. Uh, when he got there, he found another piece of scripture in the wastebasket. He continued that chore every day and was able to reclaim a large portion of scripture to sustain him during his imprisonment. He was ultimately released and uh, he's, he's still today serving the Lord. So what lesson do you take from that story? Well, here's what I take from it. When Hen was deprived of his Bible, he drifted from the truth, and he drifted from the Lord. Now, I don't blame him for that. They took his Bible away from him. He didn't have access to his spiritual food. But we do. We have access to God's word. And in order for us to allow the Bible to, to shape us, to train us for righteousness, to equip us for every good work, we need to read it. We need to eat well. So that's reason number two. Uh, the third and last is this, that the Bible, we read the Bible because in the Bible it contains the message that God has entrusted to us, his people, to preach to the world. Now in one sense, and that's, that's the beginning of chapter four when, when Paul says, I charge you, Timothy, in the presence of God, preach the word. In season and out of season, preach the word. Now, now in a sense, um, that's, that's, that's a special charge to preachers. Preachers should preach the word. Preaching should be based on the Bible. God's people need to be fed by God's word, right? So pastors shouldn't just be preaching some bright idea they cooked up the night before and then they hang a Bible verse on it. Uh, preaching should be rooted in God's word. But even though that passage is a special charge to preachers, in some sense it applies to all followers of Jesus. Because even if you're not called to preach from a pulpit on Sunday morning, we are all entrusted with the word of God. We are all called to preach that message with our words and with our lives to the rest of the world. You remember the, the, the phrase Paul uses is ambassadors. We are, amb- we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. God is making his appeal to the world through his people, through us. We are ambassadors. So think about that analogy a little bit. What does an ambassador do? Well, an ambassador is entrusted with a particular message, and then they go to a foreign country, and they convey that message to the person that they're going to speak with. So imagine, imagine this scenario. The prime minister calls you into his office, hands you a file, says, I want you to read this file, and I want you to go and relay the contents of this file to the prime minister of another foreign country. And then when you get back, he says, okay, did you deliver the message? Now, there, there could be a few different responses to that. You might say, well, I didn't have time to read the whole file. I mean, it was kind of boring. And, uh, you know, I kind of skimmed through. I, th- I th- I think I got the main points and, uh, you know, I, I, think, I think maybe the, the prime minister that I spoke with, I, I, I think he, you know, got, got part of it. Okay, you're fired. <laughs> you, th- th- that's not a good ambassador, right? The worst thing that an ambassador can do, can do is misrepresent the one that sent him. Okay, well, well, how about this answer? The prime minister asked, did you relay the message? And you say, well... I read your message, but I was afraid that if I told the prime minister exactly what you told me to say, he would get offended and he wouldn't like me. So I edited it and I skipped some parts and I softened some parts and I think I improved some parts and it went over much better the way I told it. Okay, you're fired again. 
Ambassadors don't get to pick and choose the parts of the message that they want to pass on. They're supposed to relay the whole message. See, God, God has provided this, this awesome and beautiful plan of salvation through the sending of his son, Jesus Christ, to pay for our sins. And he's recorded the details of that plan. It's, it's, it's the history of redemption from start to finish. The whole Bible is about the history of redemption, the plan of salvation. And as his ambassadors, it's essential that we read the story so that we know the story so that we can tell others about that story. God is making his appeal to the world through us, his people. And so that's one more role that the Bible plays in our lives. Okay, so now we've covered the three that are mentioned in our passage. First, the Bible is our source of strength and encouragement and comfort during times of hardship and sadness. It gives us God's perspective on things. Second, the Bible is alive and it shapes and forms us and as we read it, we're trained in righteousness and prepared for every good work. And third, the Bible is God's story of redemption and we are his ambassadors and he has entrusted this message to us that you and I might proclaim it to the rest of the world. I'm telling you, this book is a treasure chest. It's a feast and we should be eating well. Let's pray. Holy Father, I thank you this morning that you are a God who speaks, and I pray that we would be a people who listen. I thank you for the gift of your Bible. It is such a precious thing. Your word. And I pray that we would treat it as such, that we would love it, that we would know it, that we would believe it, and that we would align our lives accordingly. In Christ's name. Amen.